0: Hear God's infallible and trustworthy word. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calf have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treating them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, "'The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find.' And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendant, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks Please be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. And we're going to go to him in prayer and ask that his spirit might enable us to have understanding of his word today. Please pray with me. Father, We need your help to understand your word. We need your word to penetrate into our hearts, to change who we are, to give us wisdom. Illuminate your truths to us today, we pray, that we might be more glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the season of preview worship services this is our second service and throughout this season we're going to be doing a sermon series on the parables last week last week last month we met and we went through the parable of the sower and this is a much different parable the parable of the wedding feast there are some passages within scripture as we come to it that are easy for us to apply in our context. We know a lot about what's happening. Last time there were some farming practices that maybe we could understand, and other passages remind us that this is a book written thousands of years ago, and in a context that's much different than ours. This passage here is one of those that can be difficult to understand all of the nuances that maybe would have been at play when Jesus' original hearers first heard these words. In fact, we don't have to go any further than the first verse to begin to see this disparity. First 1, well, I guess verse 2. First 1 says, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And I'll just stop there. We don't know what it's like to live under the rule of a king. In fact, our country was founded by the throwing off of a king. If anything, an unspoken value in our culture is anti-king. We pride ourselves on uh, you know, the freedom to vote. We have some control over our legal system. In fact, our political leaders we poke fun of on social media, or worse. And to be a leader in the American public eye is often to expose yourself to ridicule and scrutiny, much different than what it would have been like to have a king. We almost have a complete lack of honor and reverence towards those who are above us. It's part of the American way. Freedom of speech. And it's hard for us to understand what it would have been like to be under the rule of a king. A man who answered to no one. With one word can execute judgment or mercy. The entire army at his beck and call. No need for approval from anyone else. He is all powerful. He would have been the most revered person you can imagine. When he speaks, listening wasn't an option. If you were to ever enter into his presence, you would have bowed the knee or paid the price. Even if you didn't like your king, you would have feared him greatly because of the amount of power he wielded. He would have also been the most rich person you would have imagined. The disparity between a king and a citizen would be unfathomable to us. All of the treasures of the kingdom at his disposal to be spent at his word. Even your own money. And so the idea of a king is one that we need to have in mind as Jesus tells this parable So this king, he is giving a wedding feast for his son. We'll come back to the son in a second. The king is having a wedding feast for his son. And even this idea, a wedding feast for the son of a king, is very foreign to us. We wouldn't know what this might be like, although I found a bridge that might get us halfway there. Last summer, there was a royal wedding. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were married in St. George's Chapel. And if you follow pop culture as closely as I do, you got all of the next amount of information from Wikipedia a couple days ago. But it helps us get a picture of what it might be like. We're told that you know it takes place in St. George's Chapel, no doubt a historic and beautiful building. Not anybody could just get married there But the prince can. They spent $65,000 on a cake, $145,000 on flowers, $380,000 on the food, which was just the tip of the iceberg. Because, of course, with all of these increased guests to the city, they needed more security. So $3.5 million for security. And because their city looked so crummy, they wanted it to look nice, and they spent $3.5 million cleaning the city. They spared no expense to put on a wedding feast. For their wedding, there was an attire, a dress code. Men were to wear their dress uniform, or a morning coat, or a lounge suit. And women were to wear a day dress, and of course, all of those lovely hats that you saw in the news reports. And this wedding had two receptions. One of them was so extravagant that Elton John was the music. And there's, of course, many guests, many different levels of guests. The royal family, of course, was invited. And all of the important political leaders from around the world, Donald Trump and Barack Obama, were both there. Celebrities from America like George Clooney. All of their close friends. And all of the non-royal guests that were able to join them got a gift bag with a bottle of water A chocolate coin and a fridge magnet. And if that wasn't cheesy enough, they also got a 20% off coupon for the Windsor Castle gift shop. All this to show the amount of money and expense and trouble that went into this wedding. But did you know that Harry's older brother, William's wedding, was far grander? Because William is the heir to the throne. And so they needed to invite many more important people into that wedding. I'm sorry, Harry, you're just not that important. But even Prince William belongs to a lame duck monarchy with no real power. Sure, they have money to spend on a wedding, but his word is not law. And so it gives us a bit of a picture of what it might look like for a royal wedding. A king to throw a wedding feast for his son. And not just any son, the one who's going to become king next. It is a time for the current reigning king to honor his son. To celebrate the one who is going to come and be an heir to everything. All of the power, all of the riches. Would have been a great honor to be invited, to participate, to even see it from the distance. A once in a lifetime opportunity. The invitation from the king is partially in celebration of a wedding and, and to feast, but the message of that invitation is that it has come time. For everybody to come and honor the Son. It is time to come and to honor the Son. And so as the invitation goes out, there are three scenes in our parable. The first scene is the scene of these invited guests. Those ones who were on that exclusive guest list. They got the save the date earlier on. They knew that it was coming. And in verse 2... Jesus tells us the king calls out to those who he had invited. He sends his servants, but they would not come. We don't know why, but they wouldn't come. And the king, not to be turned away, sends out his servants again with some explanation. Tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is wedding. Come to the wedding feast. Earlier, I said if we were under a king, when he speaks, to not listen isn't an option. When the king requests your presence, not coming isn't an option. To refuse the king's invitation would be an act of sedition. How can you not come to the feast? Look, I have already killed all of the fattened calves, all of the money has been spent. It is ready. Now is the time to come. Come to the feast. He is compelling them to come. He would not be refused and dishonored. But they paid no attention, verse 5. One of them went back to his farm. Another went back to his business. Not valid reasons to ignore the king. And in case you thought there wasn't any sedition or disrespect... Verse six, verse 6, some of the servants beat, some of these invita- invited guests beat the servants. Some of them even killed the servants. We're going to have a problem with the king if this is the response to the invitation. The invitation to come and honor the son is met with not only rejection and dishonor, but with treason, with Murder, And the result of their actions is that the king is enraged. And this time he doesn't send his servants. He sends his army and destroys those murderers and burns their city. Verse 8 says that they were not worthy to participate in the feast. Now Jesus is telling this story to a particular group of people. This is a prophetic word against the people of God at the time. Israel had continued to reject God's messengers, his servants, the prophets, who have come time and time again to them, begging them to come and to honor what the Lord was going to do in his son. To come into the feast, to rejoice in what the Lord was going to do, and they continued to turn away to beat his servants and to kill his prophets. And in 70 AD, this came to pass, that the Roman army came to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, killed many people, and burned the city. The judgment of the king came because they rejected the invitation to enter into the feast. It's a sobering image And then we enter into our second scene in verse 8. They weren't worthy, so the king tells his servants to go to the main roads. The main roads. Go out to those areas where people are passing by. Israel is located in this strategic area where there's all sorts of commerce coming through. So go out to 94 and start flagging cars off. Pull off the semi-truck drivers, whether they are people local or from far away traveling by. Bring them in. My son will be honored. Invite as many as you can find. And they go, in verse 10, and they gather all that they can find. And the only thing we're told about them is it includes the good and the bad. They didn't selectively choose the people who seemed prominent. They just, anybody they could find, the good and the bad. The locals, the far away, the Jew and the Gentile, young and old. And the result was, verse 10, that the wedding hall was filled with guests. The feast could take place. Come back to the scene in a moment. The third scene. It's perhaps the most terrifying scene of the entire parable. The king comes in to look at the guests, of course, to see this marvelous feast that he has spared no expense on for his son to be honored. He looks at the guests and he sees that there's a man there with no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we found another point in our passage that we can't understand very well. Why would this man who doesn't have a garment be judged in this way? It seems a bit harsh. In fact, this guy was just pulled off of the street. It would have been customary at the time for those who were invited in to have been given a gift, perhaps like the gift bag that was given to the guests at Prince Harry's wedding, but probably far more extravagant. And this gift from the groom to his guests would have been a badge that they were coming in to rejoice. And while the others have put on this badge of honor that they have been called in to celebrate the feast, this man has refused. And by doing so has dishonored the son. Coming in on his own terms, It would almost be as if you were a groomsman in a wedding and you know you went to the mall and got your, everybody got their matching suits and on the wedding day, you got the five groomsmen up here but one of them showed up and he's wearing like a yellow plaid suit instead. It was an act of dishonor to the king and to his son. He didn't come to honor the son. He came to enjoy the good things of the feast. But he refused to respect the prince. This parable talks about three types of people and their responses to the invitation to come and to honor the son. Those who are invited, they dishonor the son in two ways. Some of them dishonor him passively. They reject the invitation and they just go about their business. They go back to work. They go back to the field. They got stuff to do. I don't got time for the king and his son. There's no urgency. They don't have honor and reverence for the king. It reminds me of people I knew growing up. Who would say things like this? "Yeah, I know I should be a Christian, but I'll wait until I become an adult." I know the gospel, but I'll take it and later. There's a danger of judgment with that type of response to the invitation. More personally, we hear the words of the Lord come to us, and we have a take it or leave it kind of mindset. Well, I know that's wrong, but, you know, God will forgive me. We don't have the honor and reverence of the invitation. We don't understand the word of the king coming to us. Others in this first group, they dishonor the king aggressively. They refuse his invitation by abusing his messengers. These might be the people that view Christianity as bigoted and hateful. I would never serve a God like that. Get out of here. More personally, we live in a very consumeristic society, don't we not? We're prone to ridicule the Word of God by willingly disobeying it, choosing the church that might not speak to it. And if anybody were to confront you in something you were doing wrong, Don't you dare tell me that. We elevate ourselves above the authority like these people did. And in this last scene, this man without the clothes, he dishonors the king by accepting the invitation. He comes in. But he comes on his own terms. You might find yourself in this category if you've ever thought this. I don't sin that much. I'm not as bad as other people. Sure, I sin, but it's not like I ever killed anybody. These ideas that we can come into the presence of a holy and righteous, all-powerful king on our own. It's a dishonor to him and to his son that we don't need him. We're all self-sufficient on our own. We're good, we got this. Like this man, we are saying, our clothes are good enough. So you read this passage. We all know we're supposed to be the second group of people who come in, brought from the main roads, whisked into the feast, and then we're all terrified that we're the man without the clothes. And the message you might hear about this passage is that you need to prepare yourself for the wedding feast. You know, go home and iron your shirt. And that's not the message of this parable. The garment was not something these people would have had along with them. It was the gift from the groomsmen. One of the most ironic phrases in this entire parable is from verse 8 that the first group was unworthy they're all unworthy the last group they were just walking down the street what made them worthy to come in the feast we were all unworthy and the invitation came anyways and you're right there is a need to be prepared They needed to honor the king. They needed to come to the feast in the way in which the king commanded. There is a right way and a wrong way to enter into the presence of the king, a right way and a wrong way to honor the son. But we are unable to prepare ourselves for such a position. We've been given an invitation because other people have rejected it. It was somebody else's seat that we sat in at the feast. We are eating food that's prepared for other people. We've been given everything necessary to come into the feast because the Son has provided it for his guests. The preparation has been done for us. Everything is ready. The feast is ready. We come in and are caught up in the gracious act of the King for even acknowledging us. We are just walking down the road and swept away in His grace and mercy and seated at a table that we shouldn't be at. This is the gospel. Not that we prepare ourselves to come into the feast, but that the Lord has compelled us to come in and has prepared everything that we don't deserve. Even clothing us in the righteousness of his son. The only thing that can allow us to enter into the king's presence. You see, the parables only go so far to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. We know that God is a king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king in this parable. And so he's like a king, but he is so much greater. And it's like this where we take other people's seats and we feast at a table we don't deserve to feast at, but it is so much greater. There is no way we can prepare ourselves to come in. There is no way we can refuse his offer. We are swept up in his grace and seated in a place we don't belong. This passage, you would think, is over. You wished it was over before the man without the clothes. And it also ends with this phrase, Many are called, but few are chosen. And we might be perplexed as to what, what does that mean? Who are the chosen? Well, this passage reminds us that the kingdom of heaven, the invitation to the feast is to go out far and wide and broad to all sorts of different people, to the good people and to bad people, out to the main roads. That's why we are planting a church, to be another vessel of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven in Fargo, North Dakota. Many are called. The call is to go out universally. And those who are chosen are the ones who are swept up in thankfulness as the Spirit prepares them for all of God's blessing. Walking down the road and all of a sudden seated at a feast for a king. I don't belong here, but praise God. These are the chosen people, those who have entered into the feast, who've been dressed by the sun, who come in the sun's righteousness and not their own, whose clothes aren't good enough, who needs forgiveness for their sins and comes to the one who can offer it. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast that a king throws for his son. It's a feast that we've been invited to. It's a feast that is set before us each time we gather to worship. It looks forward to this feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're not familiar with that, this is the, the supper that will happen at the end of the age when all of God's people are brought into his kingdom and there's a marriage between Christ and his church. And so the marriage feast where we find ourselves as a weird guest at all of a sudden in this parable is actually not quite the feast we will participate in. The feast we will participate in, we're the one getting married. And it's pictured for us in this supper. We eat bread and drink wine as a remembrance of the blood of Christ that was shed and his body that was broken, so that we could be clothed in Christ's righteousness, that we could enter the feast and we have just a taste. Now, as we look forward to that great feast where no expense is spared, and where we will be united with Jesus Christ himself as his bride.